Crusoe Welcome, a podcast Beldroid episode 123. Um, it's uh, it's Russell again. Uh, I haven't got the others with me this time, but I do have the pleasure of, uh, of journalist Rob Cole. How are you, Rob? Pretty good, but I'm a bit annoyed. Why is it taking you 122 podcasts <laughs> to get to me? <laughs> there's a lot to fit in. There's a lot to fit in, and uh... I've been I've been here waiting. <laughs> <you know? laughs> well, very very patient, very patient. <laughs> uh, you've, I hope I hope you've managed to keep your, your powder dry. Well, we we recorded a podcast uh, about a month or, was it about a month ago, I think, um, yeah. for Sporting Heritage and the work that had gone into drafting a you know what I think is actually a you know a really good uh, strategy for sporting heritage in Wales and to protect it and enhance it and raise the profile of it and so on and so forth and you were coming at that from the point of view of this thing that is called the Welsh Sports Hall of Fame and it occurred to me I thought well it might be a few people in the red wall that would have been in the terraces of of, of, of Tallinn and Prague on the weekend who might not necessarily be f- familiar with the, the Hall of Fame or, or maybe not familiar with the the footballing aspect of the, the Hall of Fame clearly it covers the straddles any number of sports um, but but with a football focus on it this time so Rob you know who are you and and what do you do and what is the Hall of Fame well I've been involved with the uh the Welsh Sports Hall of Fame for over 30 years now, 35, 36 years. And uh, it started originally from uh, G.V. Wynne-Jones, who was the great commentator and sports administrator way back in in the day. Uh, He got together a collection of artefacts from all different sports that were then put on display behind the entrance to the the National Sports Centre in Sophia Gardens. Lynn Davis was involved, uh, Richard Mead was involved. And so it was a a toe in the water, if you like, to try to make Wales proud of its sporting heritage. It took a while to get going and eventually Lord Jack Brooks became uh, chairman of the group. They got uh, some influential people together and we moved the exhibition then to the South Glamorgan County Council headquarters that Jack Brooks helped build down in uh, Cardiff Bay. We launched in 1990 our role of honour, and this was to make it tangible for people to see who the great gods and goddesses of Welsh sport uh, have been down the years. So we started with 10 originals, and uh, among those 10 from eight different sports was Billy Meredith, the Welsh wizard, undeniably in 1990, the greatest Welsh footballer of all time with John Charles alongside him, I guess. And we we gathered and uh, garnered more exhibits over the years. And we moved on to an exhibition then in uh, the castle at St. Faggot's Museum. That was fantastic. We had a dedicated room. People were able to come through, 200,000 people a year walking through and seeing these great exhibitions, video, whatever. So uh, on top of that, every year we've had since then, barring two years, COVID and one year when we missed um, an extension to our role of honour. So it's people who've brought honour and distinction to themselves and to their nation through their sporting achievements. Uh, And to date, we have 151 people on our role of honour from 22 different sports. So the annual dinner we have uh, then announces who these people are. They come, they don't know they're going to be inducted. And, you know, it's a tear in the eye moment and standing ovation. And it's, it, it is, if you like, uh, the final honour you get in, in your incredible career when you've won this or you've played that or you've done this. And, you know, in your dotage sometimes or beyond, because we do have a, some posthumous awards, you, you get people on. Now, once a year confines you to a, a certain number. I think the most we've put on is 10. The least we've put on is one. So over a 32-year period, 151 people is not a huge amount. It could be four, 500 people. But, it, you know, we haven't gone out to include everyone as yet. And I think we come from it from the point, yes, we are self-appointed. It was an honest uh, attempt by uh, G.V. Wynne-Jones to, you know, do something, kickstart something. And then from... Um, Lord Jack Brooks and then Rodri Morgan and now Laura McAllister, our, our uh, chair, to make pe- people feel proud and to say to those people who have done great deeds, thank you, we're giving you the ultimate and the final recognition, if you like. 
So there'd be some great moments down the years. And, you know, I can remember John Charles being in tears in the City Hall. You know, I can remember uh, Mark Hughes coming up, uh, John Toshak probably having to take the microphone away from him. I think we'd be through his whole career by the time he'd done his acceptance speech. Um, uh, Terry Orris came and, you know, the the feeling in the room for him was just exceptional. Mm. You know, here was the hard man of Welsh football, the man who picked the game up from from its bootstraps on the field and then off it uh, and got almost to the World Cup, but not, you know, we all remember the penalty miss. Mm. But, you know, the feeling towards him was the, the, the tension in the room and, and the love towards it was palpable. It was incredible. And so that's what we do and that's what we've done. And the beauty of it, Russell, is we'll never be wrong and we know we'll always be right. Mm. It's not everyone's cup of tea, the people we choose, and everyone will shout, well, you haven't done so-and-so, or well, how could you do this? But we could take that on the chin because you have to be pretty damn good to get on the list. And if you're not on it, you can always come later. Yeah, and of course it's... I suppose starting in 1990 means you've probably got a bit of, you know, you've got quite a bit of catch up to have to make, isn't it? It's a century or more of, oh, sure. of sport, and so it's always there's still plenty to, still plenty to do. What, what's your relationship with football yourself then? Whether that's personal, professional, as a journalist, uh, and Welsh football then? Well, uh, I always went to rugby playing schools. Uh, I probably played about six games of, uh, of football in my whole life, I would think. But I do remember my first uh, football game was for Peterston Super Ely youth team against Pendoylan. Now, if you're talking local Oof. derbies, it doesn't get much bigger than this. I was, a, I think, an 11 or 12-year-old playing on the wing. And I'm sure it was my cross that got headed in <laughs> for, the, uh, for the only goal we scored. But those terrible people from two miles away won. But I do remember Peterston at that stage used to be quite a, a, a big football village and the youth team went on to play Cardiff City Youth in the Welsh Youth Cup. Now this was a Cardiff City Youth team with Derek Showers and Jimmy McKinchin and uh, you know our team had done really well to get there. The Sinan brothers were playing, Leighton Elwood was up front and all the talk in the village was that the city scouts were coming and Leighton Elwood had scored all these goals for us and they could be scouting uh, Leighton. Well, I think we lost 12-1 and uh, McKidge scored three, Showers scored five and they did actually speak to one of our players, but it was our goalkeeper because it could have been 22, uh, yeah. you know. But football was always there in the village and we used to catch the number 32 bus into town to go and watch Cardiff City uh, when Don Murray was captain, and we'd stand on the, um, uh, the, uh, you know, the uh, the bank at uh, Ninian Park, and and cheer and shout. And uh, a great friend of mine, Gordon Williams, who's a huge soccer fan even to these days, and travels around watching Wales. He used to take us to um, the home international championship matches. So we went once again to see Wales play England in 1970 at Ninian Park, 50,000. And this is the day that I first got in touch with hooliganism at football. It's the uh, England World Cup team, Bobby Moore, Bobby Charlton, this, that and the other. They're getting booed. We're on the, uh, the, at the Grange end, you know, an hour before kickoff. And you might remember the bloke, uh, the England mascot, Ken, can't remember his last name, he used to walk around in the, the suit and a, and a flag. Mm. And he came round the pitch and he came behind the goal and the fans started baying for his blood. He came around a second time and the crowds got a bit bigger and the noise was louder and, you know, it was getting a bit leery. The third time he came round, a policeman said, no, no, fella, don't, don't walk behind the goal. Walk <laughs> along the 18-yard box. He was having none of it. So he comes around behind the goal and there's this big bloke standing next to me with two pasties in his hand. He said, here you are, kid breaking a pasty in half, throw that at him. <laughs> so I do have to say, <laughs> from the, the somewhere on the grey jet, I threw half a pasty at this English mascot and I became a football hooligan overnight. Uh, <laughs> but it was uh, it was the flying pig, I think as they called him, Tony Millington in goal. We had Rod Davis up front and the great Dick Kriswicki scored the goal. We're 1-0 up and then Franny Lee goes and scores. So that's the game. We covered that game in, well, I say covered it. We, we we referred to it quite a lot. So we did an episode. It was our 100th episode, actually. And it was Chris Lee. So Chris is in the Barry Horns. 
Uh, he plays sax in the Barry Horns, and Chris um, told of that was his first Wales game, and he'd wagged school to come up on the train from Swansea, and it was just a fascinating kind of insight into, okay, perhaps part tongue in cheek hooliganism, but that he sensed that you know this was a kid from Swansea that was able to share buses and things like that and talk to people in Cardiff into the lines then as it were. But he said he didn't feel intimidated; he just had this kind of heady excitement because he was going to watch an international for the first time, and that and that was the game. That was the game. Six of us on the bus from Peterston going into Cardiff, going to the Sarsaparilla bar and having a drink, walking to the game, 50,000 people and standing on the grain jet and no one, no parent batted an eyelid and they looked after you, you know, so it wasn't, mm, it wasn't mm. a problem and all you had to do was boo the people in the white shirts which, you know, yeah, came naturally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we then yeah. went down to, uh, to the Vetch field to see the game against Northern Ireland and George Best played. Oh, there were only about six or 7,000 there for that game. I think it was very small. But uh, I would sit and watch the, um, uh, you know, the home international championships on the on the telly then. And it was a big deal, you know, because your country was playing. Chris said exactly the same. It's my generation, uh, I don't remember them, actually, no. the, the home internationals. A lot, we don't appreciate quite how competitive they were and how big a deal they were. But, but Chris covers those two games uh, in the episode. You, you, you'd probably find quite a bit in there to, um, yeah. to, to, to get the, the, the memory sort of flowing and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, the heady memories. He talks about the smells and stuff like oh, that. Well, you know. well, one thing you could, you could I, I could still see it now. Uh, my dad became the managing director of the chronicle and journal newspaper up in Newcastle so I had to go up to Newcastle with him to, to go to school and live for, for a while while my mum looked after my sister down here because she was in school down here so the two of us uh, were up in uh, Jesmond uh, Dean living up there just past the airport but one of the perks of being the MD was you had two free tickets in the chairman's box at St James's Park now Lord, Lord Westwood he with the, the one eye and the patch over his bad eye was uh, chairman of the Football League at the time and chairman of Newcastle United. So my dad was a big rugby man uh, along with me and his predecessor in the job uh, was a huge Newcastle United fan. So he, he didn't really feel as though he could take the uh, the two seats every week away from him. But he did ask, oh, do you mind if I have them one week? So he picked the Newcastle Sunderland derby. So um, we go along to this game and we're sat in the boardroom and I'm having a bottle of Coke thinking this is the way to watch football, isn't it? <laughs> uh, and, we, and we go out and this huge throng of people and the noise and the people going round the touchline selling nuts and things and people throwing the money down and throwing the... Incredible. Len Asher's playing left back for Sunderland. And that season, or those two seasons that we had uh, up there, was of course when... Newcastle United won the Intercities Fairs Cup. So my dad's loving this, isn't it? Football and Newcastle, you know, supplement after supplement, tens of thousands of extra readers, advertising going through the roof. But I had the mighty Wynn Davis and Ollie Burton yeah. uh, in the side up there and Liam McFall in goal from Northern Ireland, Pop Robson, uh, Benny Aaron Toft. Oh, it was fantastic. And we went along to the... Um, the return when they brought the cup in, 30,000 people in St James's Park driving on an open top bus uh, with Bobby Moncure as captain. Of course, it's the last time they ever won a trophy. Incredible. And I was also there on the terraces with some school friends the day that Manchester City won the, uh, the first division title. I think they won 4-3 up there. Francis Lee scored and whatever. But, uh, I mean, if you want soccer mad cities, there is nothing quite yeah. like Newcastle. So the Hall of Fame, you said that um, Mer Billy Meredith was uh, inducted in that first yep. tranche, if you like, and you've got alongside him people like Ken Jones from rugby, peerless Jim Driscoll, of course, Lynn Davis, um, Billy Boston, Kirsty Wade. What's the, and like I said, it's almost sort of that, that, that sense of playing catch up a little bit. You said John Charles, he comes in in 93. Yep. George Latham precedes him so what's the give a flavor of the sort of the rationale behind you've got all of these potential footballers and clearly other sports people athletes and so on why does George Latham come in ahead of John Charles or ahead of Ivor Old Church then for, for instance not that I'm begrudging that or no, criticizing no, no. Well, it I think but I, mean, I think some people looking at it would go well that seems a strange choice well you could throw a pecking order in but what you also have to do is decide as we do all the time what is the show going to be so okay. on the annual dinner, on the annual event, 
how can you get hold of the people that you want to put in? Okay. And the other thing is, you don't want to tell them that they're in. So there is a bit I of reluctance see. to get people along. You want to make it. It's it's like the drop intro. You want to suck people in and then give them the punch and make them feel that was fantastic. Mm. So we couldn't get John Charles for a few years. We couldn't get some other people. And it's taken a bit of time. And there's a, there's a lovely story with uh, Jane Ludlow. I get Jane Ludlow to come along. She's coming with her mum and dad. I said, as soon as you arrive, let me know you're here. So she turns up at Cardiff City Stadium and we can't find her. We look at the table, she's not there. Laura McAllister's trying to find her. So we go into this mad panic. Half an hour before we can't find her. So we actually pulled her award because we didn't think she was there. But she was. She came up afterwards to, to Laura and said, oh, I had a great night. She'd had a hair done and no one could recognise her out of her kit. As well. So she said, oh, great night. I really enjoyed that. Oh, yeah. So we had to get her back the next year and then represent the award and tell the story. I mean, you know, it sounds stupid, but that's the way it was. And, you know, we're all a, an amateur group or whatever, but it's much better if you can get the people there in person. You know, we all remember when Ryan Giggs was Welsh Sports Personality of the Year. And of course, he didn't come down to Cardiff. You don't get your moment in the sun and they get a little bit of video of uh, Sir Alex handing it over to him. That's not what we want, you know? And the other key thing to say is you have to be retired. So if you're still involved in sport, if you're still playing or if you're still active as a, as a manager sometimes, that means that we don't honour you then. So, for instance, Gareth Bale doesn't come into the reckoning yet. Geraint Thomas doesn't come into the reckoning yet. Alan Wynne-Jones doesn't come into the reckoning yet. The Olympic gold medalists this summer don't come into the, the reckoning yet. Jay Jones isn't uh, in the reckoning yet. But they're all on the list. And the problem is they all come onto a list that already has 500, 600 people behind them. There's no pecking order as such. Um, and we do, we also, I think, uh, I think one of the great things that we've been able to do is showcase the whole breadth of Welsh sport. Mm. There are 22 different sports included on here. Sir Charles Evans, the mountaineer, is on there. You know, should have been the first man to the, the top of Everest, but for uh, the weather turning in on him and incredible legacy and when you think of the Everest uh, uh, exhibitions uh, expeditions rather and the Welsh involvement in all of those it, it is a sport that we look at we haven't had any of our world champion darters on on there yet but we do have the snooker players we have table tennis you know we have water polo and, and so we have you know world powerboating Grand Prix champions world speedway champions tennis golf and we should be doing this because it's not just the main team sports that we're talking about i think you know that was something that's that's come through with some of the, the broader sporting heritage perspective and slant on it as well is that some of these sports don't get the attention or the media focus that that others do for you know for whatever reason and um clearly debate there as to whether that's you know fair or not but it is as it is so you get uh, you finally get john charles in we then get all over all church again careers that were very much in, in, in tandem for many years with yes. well, certainly with Wales you know Ivor ended up as most cap player joint highest goal scorer with Trevor Ford yes. who also comes in and we're in the mid-90s at this point now so we're, we're, we're beginning to kind of tick off the the obvious sort of members or inductees Cliff Jones then again another one of that of that era and then we get 1999 it's it's Horace Blue from Wrexham originally but a lot of fans possibly not aware of of Horace or the justification for why he would be in there posthumously as well and he gets in the same year as as, as Calvin James and Barry John big well sporting company he was keeping that year as well so what's the story behind Horace's um well induction? one of our our secretary for many years and uh, obviously a huge man in in the administration of sport in Wales Nick Whitehead is from Wrexham Nick is on our hall of fame as well as a as an Olympic medalist and uh, and a great uh, British Olympic team manager and he was always championing the North Wales connection in many different sports and uh, he sat around the, the table when we were talking about who we're going to bring in and he told us the compelling story of this pioneering Welsh footballer who played in the Welsh amateur football team gained 22 full Welsh caps and was this character that we hadn't heard about and he, he told us a bit more about him you know playing for the Grove Park, old boys, Rostellin and joining Wrexham, winning the Welsh Cup, playing for Manchester United, playing for Manchester City. 
and being a larger than life character. And, um, you know, his involvement with uh, football over and above his playing career, joining the board at Wrexham in the 20s, writing on football for the Daily Dispatch and being a, a great advocate for the sport in obviously a mad uh, keen town like Wrexham. And then his son, obviously following in his footsteps, playing not only for Wrexham, but also the Welsh amateur team. So, you know, it, it's a story that has its place. And it's a story that takes us right back to the earliest part of, uh, uh, of football in Wales. And I think, you know, we just felt that it was a great story to be had and, and worthy of inclusion. Now, once again, you yeah. could say, well, hang on, what did he do? Well, it's what he's, what he's done over his lifetime is dedicated to the advancement of the sport that he played and loved. And so that's why you get to the feeling he is a worthy contender. That's the key thing, isn't it? It's not necessarily just about you know the caps or the goals or the medals. It's around influence, maybe it's like a broader kind of impact or a, almost a, maybe a selflessness and sacrifice that people have made for for sport, whether that's playing, administration, campaigning, or, or, or whatever. It yes, it, and it's you know it's honour and distinction above and beyond, and it having been you know that huge part of your. Uh, uh, your being, so to speak. And, you know, I'm sure that around Wrexham, he's, he's probably a figure that's still revered. And, and we have so many of these people, and it's one of the things we talk about. We've, we've been very much focused on participants. The only time we've sort of deviated from that a little bit is when we put Clive Thomas in as a referee. Uh, so he's the only referee from any sport who's in uh, on our role of honour, but I mean, when you when you look at him and what he achieved, and how he carried Wales, if you like, uh, across the world, you can't really begrudge him uh, his inclusion. It might well be the same that we think about Clive Norling, Derek Bevan, or Nigel Owens in the same way in the future. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I keep bashing on about the sporting pioneers of which we would include Horace as one. You know, John Chambers from uh, Llanelli, who is virtually the man who uh, founded uh, athletics in the UK. Um, and he it's his uh, blueprint for athletics and how you run an athletics meeting that is still to this day used at the Olympic Games. You have the um, uh, Clopton Win- Winfield from North Wales, who was one of the founding fathers of, uh, of tennis, who has a bust at, yeah. uh, at Wimbledon. And there are so many others uh, who, uh, you know, the person who invented um, volleyball from Pembrokeshire. You know, there's so many examples of Welsh uh, men and women who've been so influential in starting sport, administering sport. So we, we've got to find a way to be inclusive to all and not just say you're the greatest because you've got more medals than anyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah you mentioned Clive Thomas there, referees. Um Reminds me of uh, Sandy Griffiths, yes. the, who from Abertillery, and there's a plaque, um, well, six bells. There's a plaque um, on the, the the pub. I forget the name of the old pub. It's the Tienbach. Yes. Now it's called not far from the uh, the entrance to that wonderful um, Guardian monument there. And he was the lines. So he was the referee in the Matthews yes. FA Cup final in '53. And he then runs the line in the 1954 yes. Cup final, Hungary West Germany, and he flags Puskas offside, and apparently was not quite a correct decision. VAR, VAR. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Benjamin Benjamin Mervin Griffiths, known as Sandy, you know, there's this yes, whose, whose career again has has, has taken um, him from you know from Wales around the world. The only the only Welshman, I guess, to appear in a World Cup final. Who knows if that'll ever be uh, better or equaled? So. You mentioned Jane Ludlow and you mentioned Laura McAllister as well as your... She's she's chair chair and Lynn Davis is our president. We we had to create a chain of office for for Lynn, you see, so uh, no better person. Of course. And that gender thing is is clearly important, but that would explain, for example, the the issue around not having retired would be why Jess Fishlock then, for argument's sake, isn't... No, indeed. They're very, very much on the list, as is Sophie Ingle. And we talk openly about these names and the one thing we can't afford to do is be too quick the only time we've inducted uh, someone who's still current uh, was joe calzaghi now right lord jack brooks our chairman at the time who was also i think 
chairman or president of the British Boxing Board of Control. He brought the Board of Control down to uh, its offices, which is still in Cardiff. And uh, he was quite a demanding man, if you like. And after he'd won however many titles or he'd unified them all or however many, you know, what a career, he said, he's got to go in now. Who will we to argue and a joke came along and his dad came along and it was fantastic and the way it was received and I think he had four or five fights after that but that's the only time we've broken that golden rule but uh, rank uh, told at the time and uh, I don't think we got it wrong with uh, with Joe certainly but no. you know we, we could have done with with Geraint Thomas you know uh, but we we talked about it but we resisted it they can come later and, and I think there's something nice as well it might be you might have finished for five, six, seven, ten years, and all of a sudden, you get honoured in this way, and you think, "Oh, well, that's nice," you know. And the recognition, the mm, recognition mm, returns. Mm. I mean, it took it took a long time to get hold of Sparky, so that's why it took a long time to to honour him because we didn't just want to send it through the post. Sure, yeah. So we've got Fred Keener in there, obviously Cardiff City legend, captain the Welsh team, the uh, the, the yeah. unknowns, wasn't it, up in Scotland. Uh, to a one-all draw. Who else have we got? We've got Ronnie Burgess, yes. uh, went in the same year as Ian yep. Rush. Uh, Ian Rush isn't someone needs an introduction, but you know, Ron Burgess might, from an earlier era, from Cum, yes. era Bavale, bit of a oh, legend. I sat next to him on the night. He was delightful company. And what you get yeah. the sense of feeling of, both from Cliff and from, from him, is the tightness of that Spurs family at that era. They yeah. really, And, you know, they are still held in such high regard now. Cliff... He might even still be doing it now, I don't know. But, you know, up until only a few years ago, was doing the hosting on match days. And, you know, that family feel and that that those teams of that era when they won the uh, the league and the, and the cup and the European title are just, just still held in such great affection. Well, I mean, Cliff still looks like he's fit as a fiddle. He still looks yeah. like he could do a job. Do a job on the wing these days. Um, and I suppose what's nice with someone like Ron Burgess is that he goes in in 2001. He sadly passes away in 2005. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's quite late in his life. Um, he was born in 1917. So, you know, he was playing pre-war. Won most of his caps, I think all of them actually, yes. after the, the Second World War. To win 32 caps in that era, that's a pretty decent haul. But then you begin to think, well, actually, he'd have missed his prime yes, because of did. the war and and that that's quite that's quite sad I mean he's not alone in that clearly um goes on to manage Swansea as well manages Watford so again this career in football spans several decades um but then in those days of course players probably then had to go and you know run a pub yeah or... I think it, what, one of the other things that is uh you could sometimes struggle with you talk about the, the key thing there the career and the body mm-hmm. of work Everybody tells us you've got it hopelessly wrong because Brian Flynn isn't in there. Now, you could judge Brian Flynn in very many different ways. As a player, fantastic. As a person, brilliant. As a manager uh, at, uh, at club level and international level, at junior level, terrific. Influential, inspirational. And then you could say, well, uh, what did he win? So you come then to the pure show us your medals situation and that's when perhaps it's not as bright as a Ryan Giggs or someone else so people take a view on that without looking at the other bits and bobs and we Brian's very much on our uh, on our radar and has been spoken about uh, all the time and you know there are other people uh, a bit like that then you look at Jimmy Murphy FA Cup winner what he did at Manchester United bringing the kids through and standing in when after the Munich air disaster obviously cap managing Wales but there is a body of work and unfortunately we got him posthumously what we mustn't do is capture Brian posthumously yeah well I mean Leon from our team here he's, uh, he's he has said I had to raise Brian Flynn but you've done it you've done it before I did actually because he wrote a little under the, the, the biography of, of Brian and uh, you know he thinks his influence certainly the, you know you look at the current crop now and the success from 2016 oh, yes. he's absolutely critical in all of that so um, you'll be getting yeah. a stern letter off uh, off Leon at some point if it, if it doesn't no, happen no, soon I, but anyway I, no, <laughs> I had to yeah, get that no, in. <laughs> good, good on him good on him you know and and that's the thing we do over these this thirty year period now. We get more people coming forward and saying, "Oh, what about mm-hmm. this?" And we appeal to all the governing bodies to ask for suggestions. And we get a few people, but we get very little. 
But presumably, you, you would prefer to have the headache, to have to have to have the debate, oh, isn't it? Oh, of Rather course you be, would. Yeah, of course yeah, you would. Yeah. So I'm looking at some of these other names. Um, you've got uh, Jack Kelsey, uh, again another member of that sort of '58, late '50s era. Yes. Alf Sherwood, a huge, huge player at Cardiff, Newport as well. Forty yeah. odd caps, you know, and the man who Stanley Matthews yeah. admitted was the toughest fullback he had to yeah. play against. I put the Cullen Valley Museum. I don't know whether you're familiar with it, Rob. There's the yes. goalkeeping jersey that he wore when he went in goal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, when he went in goal, um, yes, it did. I, I, I would happily serve time if I could get my hands on that. But anyway, I've just got to come up with a, a, with a convincing alibi. But it, it's, it's um, <laughs> yeah, he was from Aberamon, so he's from the from the Cunning Valley as well. And, and and it's lovely that there's there's that local connection in that in that museum, which I, I thoroughly recommend anybody to go to. It's one of my favourite museums uh, around. Um, obviously, you mentioned Sparky, Mark Hughes is in there. Ivor Powell is an interesting. I was going to come to him. Who's the next name I was yeah. going to come to? Him and well, him and him and, I mean, and Bryn Jones went in in the same year in two thousand and four. Yeah, I mean, I Ivor Powell is one of those people that you use that body of mm. work about, you know. And uh, he entered the Guinness Book of Records in two thousand and six as the world's oldest working football mm. coach at the age of ninety. Remarkable. After fifty five years of of coaching service, you know, he finally retired at ninety three. You know, he had a very competitive, uh, good competitive career. Queen's Park Rangers, Aston Villa, Bradford and, and Wales just after World War II. And then he went into management and coaching. And, and it was his influence in the coaching sphere that really sort of brought him to our attention. And, you know, he worked four years as trainer coach at Leeds United, working with uh, Don Revy in his pre-management days and, you know, working alongside Charlton and Bremner. And his was, if you like, a slightly different uh, a view, but as you said, you look at what he did and how he did it, and he was coaching the University of Bath team and still doing that. There's an Ivers Powell Sports Scholarship Fund at the University in memory of him, and he obviously played for Wales as well. And he came along, and what a gentleman! And then, of course, uh, Cliff Jones's uncle Bryn, who yeah. I think his transfer fee was the biggest in British history at the time. You're right, yeah. Bit of a footballing dynasty, those Joneses. Oh, indeed, they? indeed. Who else have we got on this list? Uh, Tosh went in, 2005. Yes. Nev. Um, how, did, how did John Toshak take it? Well, I think, you know, I think he he might even have said it. I, 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 I could see him standing in this city hall now. And he might even have said it, uh, but if he didn't say it, you know it was in his mind. What took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> because he's he he can be a little bit bristly. He can be a very honest. I mean, that was what he was like as a pundit before. Yeah. Then he took the Wales job on. Divides fans massively in terms of his his, his managerial era. Um, I think by his own admission, did pick and choose a couple of internationals. Did struggle with his injuries and fitness towards the end of his career. But of course, then as a manager, you know, he's a legend in Swansea and and so on. And it's he is an interesting character isn't he that doesn't surprise me that doesn't well, surprise me at all Rob. yeah he, <laughs> he is your marmite character isn't he but you know i'll have nothing bad said about him he, you know he was one of my pinup lads yeah. when i was uh, getting on that 32 bus yeah. going to cardiff city you know and i remember you know the tears in the village when he went for 110,000 to liverpool from cardiff and you know he was a skinny bloody kid but boy could he play and uh, you look at him and keegan and, and what they and what he's achieved. He's not the world's greatest poet, but he's got to be one of the greatest headers of the ball that we've ever my, my had. My dad was you know? still furious at that transfer fee. Uh, I mean, thirty yeah. years after it happened. But it was a great night, and you know, I think uh, you you cannot deny his achievements. Yeah. And when you look at what he he has done, you know, it's just amazing. What he, I remember, I was working in Swansea uh, district office for the Western Mail, and I used to go and cover a couple of games and I used to go and watch a couple of games and you know what he did bringing Swansea City through was just yeah, remarkable yeah yeah you mentioned uh, obviously Clive Thomas in 2014 for his, his refereeing and uh, love him or hate him without the referees there is no game so um, you know they are an important components he did make yeah, that point yeah and he and he did said he he did get it right when he blew the whistle uh, in the World Cup game to stop oh, the scoring. Yes. And, and, and I don't think on the night he said that he ever got anything <laughs> wrong. No. Clive, he was like one of those first people that brought referees into yeah, yeah, the limelight. Yeah. And he, he didn't mind going and speaking his mind on the field and then mm. off it. And I think he did a huge service for the game by being a slightly larger-than-life yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. 
2016, Big Nev, and sadly, and I can't imagine there was many dry days in the house, uh, Gary Speed posthumously. I don't think anyone's anyone's going to argue with either of those. Yes, we had his... Yeah, we had his dad down, and it was it was yes, once again one of those uh, moments mm. where he could have cut the atmosphere with a knife. It was incredible, and you know I have to say that his his family conducted themselves. I you know I was mm. at the Costa Rica game, was it when they had the tribute, and it's just remarkable the the outpouring of love and respect for Gary and the way that his boys in particular and his mum and dad carried themselves mm, throughout that mm. terrible, terrible time. And it, isn't it fantastic and isn't it the way that Welsh fans are that he is still remembered and great that the managerial staff and the players still have that look over their shoulder mm. and a nod and a wink to say, yeah, mm-hmm. he did yeah, no, so much. Absolutely. Terry Orrath, you mentioned Terry earlier, 2017. Uh, he's... He achieved a massive amount of football. He's had his battles and his, his, and demons and, and, and personal tragedies as well and difficulties. But again, always seems to conduct himself. Well, it, it took a lot. Well, yeah, it it took a lot to, to get him to come. It was well, you don't really want to really? bother with me, you know. No, no, no. Thank you, but you're really no, you know, slightly self-deprecating. But on the night, we put a few good people around him, and and he, I think he enjoyed it. And you know, he got up and spoke, and, and it was terrific. And uh, but we booked a hotel for him, everything sorted. Mm. But he went back that night. I think we, we, we paid a three hundred pound taxi fare or something mm. for him to go home. But um, but it was great that we got him. Because, you know, I still remember him playing in that Leeds United side. Leeds United were my team in my Saputio league, and I've still got the box <laughs> with all the names in, and uh, Yorath's in there with Bremner or whatever. And I can remember. The first time Wales beat England at Wembley in the Home Nations Championship. And mm. he was captain, I believe, or he was certainly playing. And I can still I still have in my mind this vivid memory of Jimmy Greenoff coming out of the back, playing as the Beckenbauer of the English back line, coming into the middle, into the centre circle, and Terry Yorath meeting him and probably kicking him three to four feet in the air and about five feet back. And from that moment on, mm. I knew we were going to win the game. No one went near uh, Yorath or whatever, but uh, incredible. And of course, he, before that, that's the game where he insists that the, the team stay to, to sing the anthem and they're getting jeered and the England players have all dispersed from that, 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 that initial lineup, doing their little kickabout, their little routines, etc. And he maintains that they, they stay there in line yeah. and, and finish the anthem. And a leader almost par excellence isn't it I mean that's that's somebody that people want to the the cliches of you're running through a brick wall for and and so on well and I think he he hauled everyone up didn't he you know it it, and and I you could probably pinpoint a few games Russia in Wrexham I remember he got yellow carded and uh, or booked in those days and he was running around kicking lumps out of people because he had to stimulate some reaction Mm -hmm. but you know, let's not put him just in that clogging mould. You have to be able to play yeah, a bit to play, play in that lead side. You know, he would have gone on to Coventry and then on to Vancouver. And he wouldn't have played mm. for as long as he did and had so many caps and whatever if he wasn't able to use both feet, his head, as well as his elbows. <laughs> his, uh, <laughs> yeah, I get the impression that he wouldn't deny that either. I think he'd probably front up and accept that as well, I guess. Yeah. That would have been the year that, that Jane Dudler then presumably would have gone in as well, had she not gone. Indeed. Had she not got her hair done. Oh, But she gets in the year after. She definitely does. And, and what a wonderful um, advocate for women's sport in Wales. I first came across her when I was covering athletics and she was the British University's triple jump champion. Okay. She was a Welsh triple jump champion age group, I believe. And then, of course, she goes to play football. Where did she... She might have started at Barry, did she? And then she went around it. But her career at Arsenal is one of the great careers. Mm. I'm not exactly sure, but who's, who's won more league or FA Cup titles, her or Ryan? She's got 11, I think he's got 13 maybe league yeah, titles. Yeah. She's got more FA Cup wins than, than Sparky. You know, but when you look at her thing, and in about 10 years' time, when you look back and women's sport is attracting crowds of 10, 15, 20,000 a game, as it will, you'll look back at the pioneers and say, God, she won a European title. Mm. She won how many FA Cups and league titles? And then you'll be able to put it in context. You know, For her era, she was amongst the best players in the UK, possibly in the world. 
Yeah. And, and I think, you know, having dealt with her during her period as manager, you know, you want one of your own standing before you, having achieved so much, encouraging you to do great things, setting high standards and demanding certain things, but then having your back when you're not getting what you mm, need. Mm. And I think she did a great job in that managerial role. And hopefully it's not the only time she'll yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so almost up to the current day. Obviously, you said last year there wasn't anything because, uh, well, for obvious reasons. But Ryan Giggs got in in, in 2019. Again, needs no, no introduction, clearly. Before you go, I just said it was a lovely moment in that we got Ivor Church's wife, Esme, to present the award to Okay. Uh, so you'll see uh, the picture on the thing is we've got Laura, Esme and Ryan Giggs. So there was a, a bit of a connection from the past to, to the to the recent past uh, there. That's on the landing page, website. isn't it, of, yeah. the, of the website? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Welsh-sports-hall-of-fame.wales. Um, yes. uh, okay, I did wonder uh, who, 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 that, who that was. That's a nice nice touch. I mean, you mentioned, say, for example, and Brian Flynn, obviously, you know, Bale has still got plenty to do, I'm sure, and Aaron Ramsey and Jess Fishlock. What sort of other names, if you're not, you know, if you're allowed to sort of disclose this, do have do or have come up in, in conversation for whatever reason, might not just have have made it what foot, yeah, football yeah. wise oh god I always try to uh, to bang on about some of the uh, my mantra would be early FA Cups who's won who's won a league title who's played 300 plus games who's played 20 plus uh, internationals for Wales who's played in a Welsh team that's won the um, the home nations uh, title uh, those are mm, sort of benchmarks mm. for me to start to go searching. Yeah, yeah. And then you say, well, that you, I, there are so many names out there and there are so many people that uh, we could consider. But you've got to look at that body of work and you've got to say, look, there's someone there who's um, who really has carried themselves well, maybe won something, played well for Wales. And that, that's one of the difficulties, you know, when Wales internationally, the achievements are cut off with no home nations title, yeah, what yeah. have you won? Well, you haven't, you haven't got anything to win. So obviously the 2016 European Championships team is going to be there writ large, you know. Yeah. Gunter's, Gunter's going to make it in the end, isn't yeah. he? If he ever retires. Oh, it, isn't it? Uh, Hennessy's going to make it, uh, you know, if he ever retires or if he ever plays again. I don't, you what know. about, a, but what about are, a certain Christopher Coleman? Oh, most definitely, yes. You know, yeah, they're, they're, once again, all these people are on the radar. Alan Durbin would be another Okay. One. Sorry, you caught me on the hop here. There well, are so many so names. You think of someone like Dave Bowen, who for years, yeah. I mean, he was, he was captain in 58. Yes. Wales weren't great. It wasn't the 60s, weren't a great decade. But, you know, he was the manager for all of that that period of time. And, of course, took Northampton yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. There's a stand yes. named so, after him, isn't it, at yeah. the ground? Yeah. So th- those are all, you know, reference points that come in. So the challenge would be, rather than putting me on the spot, who should be in there, is let us know. Okay. It's got to be this person because X, Y, Z. Let us know. In many ways, it's who would the public like to see on this role of honour as well. It's not just 10 crusty old men and five crusty old women around our table saying, well, what, what are we going to do? Let's throw these in the hat and let's come up. But, you know, we do have to uh, look across the whole gamut of sports. Mm. So, you know, if you've only got five or six people going on every year and there have to be four or five sports in those six you know you're only getting one a year if or one every two years Mm -hmm. or sometimes one every three so I've asked for a sort of moratorium and said let's put 40 people in at one one go okay I think we should play catch-up and I think we should say here's 10 administrators here's 10 officials here's 10 women we've missed out on and here's 10 other sportsmen Mm -hmm even if it's 50, because it doesn't really matter what the numbers are, if they're worthy of inclusion, and what that will then do is allow us. When you think, what, 23 people went to the Olympics this year, and going to the Olympics is the pinnacle, uh, if you like, for for many people. Winning a medal at the Olympics, I think we've got every Olympic gold medalist bar one from Wales on the list, unless they're current. So, you know, that to me is the standard that, that you want to get to. Mm. But then that brings in all sorts of other sports. And when you're thinking of all the cyclists who've won world titles, uh, it's just remarkable. Uh, okay, there are lots of different events, but they have to be uh, they have to be included. And so I guess this brings us back to how do you evaluate one sport 
and one sport man or woman's achievements against yeah, another. That was, a question, that was a question I wanted to put to you, actually. So this is encapsulated in the story I was telling you about Ian Rush and Steve Jones. So, Oh, this is a great so, story. Um, yeah. Go on. We'll end, we'll end on, for, we'll end on this. For my sins, I was hev- heavily involved in the administration of the what was then the Westermale Welsh Sports Personality of the Year Awards. It's something my dad started in 1954 when he was at the paper. And then I, for 10 years, worked with John Billow and the sports department on this. So we have, in 1984, a lunch at a Cardiff hotel to decide who's going to be the Welsh Sports Personality of the Year. The lunch is uh, hosted by the commercial manager of the Western Mail. And uh, he's paying. Now, my sports editor, John Billow, God bless him, was uh, the chair. I was there with Lynn Davis, representing uh, athletics, if you like. Carl Woodward, uh, my great colleague and, and the great football writer from the Western Mail, was there with Mike England, who was representing football, if you like. So we went through a few peripheral candidates over the, the first course. Over the second course, we uh, went through the merits of one or two others and could they get on the list and third and fourth. And then in the uh, in dessert, we got into it. Who's it going to be? Ian Rush, 57 goals in 64 games, European Cup winner, league title winner. Or is it going to be Steve Jones? Broke the world marathon record, world half marathon record, went to the Olympics and indisputably the best in the world in his event. So this went back and forth. Lynn, the Olympic gold medalist, joshing with Mike England, the great uh, Welsh international and manager. And uh, we are getting onto coffee through the mints and into extra time <laughs> and it's getting tense. And Carl's getting a bit uh, louder and louder. And I'm saying, for heaven's sake, he's the best in the world. This isn't club stuff. Oh, bloody hell, Mike England didn't like that. What do you mean, club stuff? He's won the European Cup. He scored all these goals. It's Liverpool. I said, yeah, but what's he done for Wales internationally? This person, Steve Jones, is the best in the world, bar none. He beat the two previous world record holders in Chicago to win the to break the world record. He's done something no one's ever done. This is global. It's not European or club. Oh, well, plates were almost flying, I have to say. At which point, it's two all. Steve Jones for, for Lynn Davis and me, Ian Rush for Mike England, who might have had a slight representative deal with Ian Rush at the time as well, uh, with Carl Woodward. So it's an impasse. So John Billow, the great rugby writer and uh, sports editor of the Western Mail, has to make the decision. Oh, I can't. And, you know, he could dither a bit, John. Oh, no, he didn't want to upset anyone. Oh, I don't know. So he went to the toilet. So while he's off at the toilet, John Bennett, the commercial man, says, I've had enough of this. I'm paying for the bill. It's Ian Rush. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Mike England had threatened Carl that he'd never speak to him again. The Western Mail would never get another interview with Ian Rush. He'd never do this. So John Billow comes back. He says, oh, well, I think no, we've done it, John. John Bennett said, so it's Ian Rush. So I then had to had a very close relationship with Steve Jones and speak to his wife, uh, Annette, you know, you hope you'll enjoy it. Oh, he's, he's won, isn't he? I said, well, you know, you'll enjoy it. Steve comes on, come and enjoy yourself. Look, you know, just enjoy it. Don't worry about the result. This time you are who you are. So he knew that he hadn't won it uh, without me telling him outright, but he ran within a second of the new world record next year, won Chicago, won another marathon, won the London Marathon, and so he won it the next year, thank God. I think that's the origin of the, the saying, he who pays the piper calls a tune, isn't it? I, I think, think it's that yeah, meal, think, yeah, yeah. isn't it? But, it's that meal, it's that decision. Yeah. But come on, what a fantastic decision to have to make. Yeah. How yeah. doesn't that encapsulate what Welsh sport can achieve and how great some of our greatest really are? No, it's a, it's a, it's a terrific, uh, terrific story. You shared it with me a while back, and uh, I, I, I thought, okay, that was that was what sort of, if, if anything, sort of clinched it. I thought, okay, okay there's a, a Welsh football angle, but yeah, let's get Rob on and yes. uh, and go through this. And um, there's there's nowhere near enough time to to pay tribute to all of those footballers' achievements, uh, legacy, and influence, and, and and all sorts of things. But um, engage with it if you're interested in this. Give Rob and the other panelists, uh, Laura, etc., the headache of uh, of who you think should be in there. I've got a couple of suggestions. Leon, as I said, is 
has, has made it clear that he's uh, he will not be happy, or still isn't happy, actually, at Brian's omission. No, no, um, no. So. We, we do, yeah, no, we do regularly get we regularly get uh, Brian Flynn uh, things calls, and we have a Twitter feed, so you can always engage with that and send suggestions through direct messages or whatever. But yeah, look, it's uh, we are the self-appointed arbiters, and we 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 hope we do a good job. Uh, you know, there's only so much we can do, but I think. The key thing is that there's something that's got a 30-year credibility now. And I hope that whatever happens in the sporting heritage sphere in Wales, and it's great to see it growing, become more organised, and great to see the uh, the Wrexham Mm. uh, Football Museum project. And hopefully there'll be a rugby museum uh, at the WIU in the future. And then linking with all these other great exhibits that we have around the football clubs, rugby clubs and other clubs in Wales that, you know, people can feel but this list, this role of honour, I think is unimpeachable and whoever takes it on in the future, wherever it goes I think, Mm. don't start again you know, this is something that could be and it it could be changed in the way it's inducted, but whoever comes up with the perfect method to decide who should go on there is a liar (laughs) there is, there is no perfect method. Yeah, yeah yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, Twitter, it's, it's Welsh Sports, uh, plural, Welsh Sports, H-O-F, Hall of Fame. Absolute pleasure, Rob. Um, okay. And I hope in the nicest possible way that the Red Wall can give you give you some Great. headaches. And um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Well, we're at Cardiff City for our dinner in uh, June next year. Uh, so we'll have missed two because of COVID. And people can come along. So just look at the website. You can buy a ticket and be part of the audience. There are some great people there. It's a great occasion. And having the chance to stand on your feet and applaud those people who go on the Roll of Honour is a special moment. La, 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 la.